From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Ariano. It's Wednesday, April 15th. Today, in a regular California public school year, right now kids are coming back to class from spring break and getting ready for statewide testing. There's dances, parties. Seniors can't wait to graduate. Elementary kids catch up on their latest scores for Minecraft, or whatever it is elementary kids do nowadays. But this year, of course, ain't regular. School campuses are closed and likely won't open until the fall. But instruction continues in a new form. Teachers are struggling to get in those lessons about subject-verb agreements and parallelograms over Zoom and FaceTime. But they're also tasked with something even more difficult, trying to provide a sense of comfort and normalcy to children as a pandemic looms all around us. Today, we'll talk to Joseph Aquino, a middle school world history and human geography teacher for the Colton Joint Unified School District. It covers the blue-collar cities of Colton, Bloomington, and Grand Terrace in the Inland Empire. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. How's it going, Joseph? It's going as good as it could be right now. <laughs> so what era in history are you teaching right now? Well, we just left the Black Death. No way. Yep, exactly. And <laughs> we're going into the Renaissance. <laughs> wow. So I was about to ask if you even covered diseases or pandemics, but obviously you're doing it right now or you just uh, finished it. So what did you teach your students about the Black Plague? Well, before we left for spring break, and that was the last time I got to see them, Yeah, um, we were just comparing uh, some of the symptoms of COVID-19 versus the symptoms of the Black Death, the bubonic plague. And there's really no similarities except for fevers. But one thing that we did see in similarity is like right after the Black Plague, there was this push for public health to educate people. And I think they were able to see that connection that all of the, the information that we have today was a result of something that happened in the past. Yeah, I was about to say, so teachers are always trying to make things that happened 400, 500, gosh, in the Black Plague almost 600, 700 years ago, try to make it relevant for students. Obviously, this time coronavirus did it for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been teaching it for about five years. And this one, I could say it hit home and it's even hitting harder because I'm getting these messages every day like, oh, I see that. we got to wash our hands, you know, um, we got to wow. keep clean, you know, and we're talking to middle schoolers here, you, you know, who uh, hygiene is, is, is still being learned by some of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, even adults at the, for that matter. So how did you have to change your curriculum then ever since uh, the school started shutting down? Now, when, when it comes to changing curriculum, I don't think that really changes because we have a set of standards and stuff uh, that we have to, to present to the children. Um, however, um, it's the delivery method. Yeah. Now we're switching to online. And I could tell you right now, one of the hardest parts of being online is you don't get to be in front of your students. I'm not in my element. I do use a lot of technology day to day, but being in front of someone makes a difference to their lives. It makes a difference to connecting. If a student is having a hard time with, with a problem or they're not having a good day and they don't want to do anything, being face-to-face, -face, there's a lot of ways you could reach them with your uh, nonverbal communication, your just the, your presence there yeah. is, is what is I feel is being um, what, what's lacking. You know, we could be in front of a, a camera, but it's not the same as being in front uh, of a classroom. 
It's hard. Yeah. How are you adapting then? I mean, especially in middle school, it's hard enough as it is. And a lot of teachers are, you know, they're looking out for their students. They care for them. And they do see like, hey, you know, he's having a bad day or she's maybe, you know, she's feeling depressed today. Are you able to start catching on to those cues right now with this long distance education? Yes. Um, the thing is, I have a good relationship with my students. Um, they follow me on Instagram. I don't necessarily follow them. Oh, cool. But I do a lot of um, Instagram polls. And um, I've been asking how they're feeling, you know, and the possibility of them not coming back, you know. And, and at first, you know, they're excited. Uh, now they're actually polling with me right now. They're saying that they're bored. I could tell that they're anxious about distance learning. Some of them really care about their grades. Some of them really want to return back to school just because they're, they don't like it, okay? So those are things that I have to address as a teacher because if they're not ready to learn, I can't go forward. And that's going to yeah. be the story for a lot of other teachers. It's hard to go forward if one student or a group of students are not ready. So that's the challenge I have right now. So before you folks went on spring break, what were the conversations you were having with your students about uh, this, especially the idea that you probably weren't going to see each other again for the rest of the year? Okay, so that reality never Never, never, ever came up until the last four hours before we got out of school. No Our way. district was really lucky to have two weeks off. However, right before we got off for spring break was the time when when our state government was saying, hey, you know, gatherings of 250 or more people you should not have. So going with that drift, I think our district was already in communication with, with the state level saying, hey, it's possible not, we're not coming back. About four hours before going on spring break, we have to meet with our administration and they're telling us, hey, we have to scramble to get at least two weeks worth of, of material to the kids if we don't come back. And we're like, what? We're not coming back, you know? So <laughs> the crazy thing is uh, the, the blessing I would say for, for the district, my district is uh, they had two weeks to prepare um, while we were off for spring break. Uh, not a lot of districts had that, that luxury. They had to do it within three days. So right when I got the word that we might not be coming back uh, right away after spring break, my student conversations were, they were, were in middle school. So of course, they're going to be very excited. <laughs> but they didn't grasp the idea of, of what school is to them. They, they do experience it every day, but they're not grasping it. And they're really learning what the importance of school is now. They're, they're taking school a little bit with a different perspective. And again, middle school, coronavirus, every time you talked about it, it was a joke. If a student was absent, you would have some off comment in the side saying, oh, he has coronavirus. Okay. And now I feel like yeah. that joke has become a really sad reality. You know, I, I can't really gauge how they're feeling now because I'm not face to face with them. But I could tell that they do have an idea of what is going on. They make a joke about it. And now uh, it's a reality of some sort. So that's the probably one of the hardest things, uh, not being able to kind of like help these people understand like between jokes and reality and what's going on now, you know. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content.
how's it making you feel? Just all of this, you know, you, as a teacher, you obviously got into it because of a love of teaching, of being able to interact with students on a face-to-face level and being able to, in, in many ways, offer sanctuary to them. And now you're away from them, you're at your home and you're still trying. So how are you feeling? You know, the key word right there that you, you mentioned was sanctuary. I'm a better believer now that school is a sanctuary for a lot of students. I wasn't a believer of that before, mainly because I thought you just come in, go to school, you learn something. But really, there's a lot of students that I, I know that have a lot of needs, whether it's not being met at home. Uh, it could be also a disability. Yeah. Um, so how I'm feeling, uh, my life has changed. I do have a good exchange of like more home and family time. However, I have a responsibility to my community that I signed up for, that I've been working with, that I've built relationships with. So how I'm feeling, it's really stressed because all of those, those relationships that I, that I fostered since, since August of my 165 students that I have, that was my tool, you know, using the connection as people, as persons to get them to learn history of something that they don't want to learn about. That's the hardest part for me. That's my struggle. Do you think this moment also, in a way, though, demystifies or breaks down the barrier between teacher and student? Because obviously these students know that you're just like literally like them right now. You're at home. You're figuring out like their parents or themselves what to do in this situation. So do you think there's an opening there for to make even better relationships with your students, even though, of course, you're not nowhere near close to them? It's it's up in the air right now. I don't know how, you know, there's a different life between online personalities and physical personalities. And I can't really gauge that right now. As you're teaching, you're about to start the renaissance. What's going to be your lesson plan to reflect what's going on with coronavirus right now? When it comes to the history of the renaissance, there was a lot of rebirth of ideas, um, the way people express themselves. So going forward, I think uh, one of the main takeaways uh, with this whole situation we're living in now is there's going to be like a renaissance, a digital renaissance of some sort of how we express ourselves, how we connect after this. The, how is the, the post-coronavirus world going to look like? Are we going to be more connected uh, with people we should have been connected to? Yeah. Is there going to be a longing for more social gatherings with meaningful connections? So um, I feel like there's some good and bad uh, that goes along with with this with what we're going through right now. And I'm a silver lining person, you know. You have to be, I think, in many ways. Do you think this moment is going to bring more respect to what teachers do for society? I think on the parent end, there's going to be an appreciation for what teachers do on a day to day basis. They get a little glimpse of of the challenges that we have as teachers. What's going to happen uh, when this is all done? And, you know, th- there's a lot of people that, that question my profession. They're like, oh, you don't do much. You just give them work, you grade it, and that's it. I hope that they realize it's more about relationships, helping them grow as as humans, getting them ready for challenges that that are beyond our expertise. And that's what I want to come out of this. That's That's what I look forward to. Thank you so much for this interview. Oh, you're very welcome. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me, gustavo.arellano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Arellano. Our producers are Paige Heimson and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and the music was composed by Andrew Eben. It's original. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, 
Hector Becerra, Shelby Grad, and Clint Schaff. For the latest coronavirus stories by my colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases in California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.